Good morning, everyone. I'm not past Ebenezer yet. <laughs> One day, hopefully, we'll see. I'm here to give a few words of uh, introduction for my father. I'll apologize. I remembered all the kids but forgot my glasses. 85 years ago, or approximately, someone was doing door-to-door -door evangelism and came to a Hindu home. They knocked on the door and tried to tell the person inside about the Lord Jesus. The person was rather pragmatic and said, can your Lord Jesus give me children? Without hesitation, they said, yes, he can, and they prayed for her. Within a year later, a child was born, and that child was my father's oldest brother. My father is the youngest of four boys, and he came to faith in his teens. Shortly afterwards, he got the call to ministry and married my mom approximately 50 years ago. After serving in ministry in various capacities, he became um, a radio announcer for Far East Broadcasting Corporation and served there for five years, and then received a call to ministry 40 years ago to go to the United Kingdom and serve in a church for Tamil-speaking people. Today, as I stand in this pulpit, that church celebrates its 40th anniversary, and my father served pastoring there for approximately 30 years. After taking a short break as he retired, he continues serving in ministry, and as one of my children asked, how long have you been preaching, Tata? And he said, I've been preaching for the last 50 years. So it is with great joy that I would like to invite my father to come and preach the word to you, son. I pray that you are blessed and Christ our Savior is exalted. Amen. It's a great joy for me to be here in your midst. Uh, what I would like to say right at the beginning is, uh, I see people from various nations here, praise the Lord, it must delight the heart to see. You know, one of the songs that I used to love to sing used to be from uh, uh, the book of Revelation, and we heard a lot of Revelation today, isn't it? It used to go something like this, uh, you think you can lift your guitar and give it to me? It seems so expensive, and I'm used to playing on cheap guitars. Uh, I'm wondering whether I might injure it. <laughs> Last week, when I was here, I heard these dear Iranians sing along with my son. And my heart was delighted because uh, I've always been interested in Iran as a country, because it's a Muslim country. And right from 1979, when Ayatollah Khomeini came to power, I used to follow the news with great interest. And I used to wonder, are there any Christians? And then I saw these dear ones from Iran, and I praised the Lord. And I was reminded of this song. Redeem to worship him, redeem to praise his name, out of every tribe and nation. Redeem to worship him, redeem to praise his name, out of every kindred. And I asked about uh, the person who was going to lead worship today. 
And then my son Jonathan reminded that I had met him last week. The gentleman, the father is from Ghana and the mother is from Philippines. And the product is absolutely beautiful, isn't it? And what's your name? <laughs> what's your name? James. James, hallelujah. Out of every kindred, tongue, and tribe and nation, he has bought us with his precious blood. And this song is a song that I've always loved to sing. And last week, my heart was delighted when I saw people from various countries of the world. I am not used to it, you see. I was asked to come to London to join an Englishman who had a passion for ministry among people who spoke my language. And I don't know how many of you have heard this word. Tamil, T-A-M-I-L. You have heard, my, even James says yes. Now, Tamil is a smallish language spoken only by a mere 75 million people. <laughs> but it has contributed a lot to the English language. You know this uh, wonderful word that makes our mouths water? Curry, C-U-R-R-Y? It's from my language. We bequeath it to the English language. Go home, take out your dictionaries, your Oxford, your Cambridge, your Chambers dictionaries. Look for the root word curry. It's from Tamil language, language that I speak. <laughs> and the word mango, how many of you have heard? Only a few people here have heard of mango. This absolutely delicious fruit. Well, where did the word come from? Again, from my language. And lastly, a word that I'm not very happy with, that the Tamil language was bequeathed to the English language. Praya, paraya, P-A-R-I-A-H. How many of you have heard this word? A social outcast. Again from Tamil. So you see, we have done what we can to enrich the impoverished English language. <laughs> and I think we have been fairly successful. But when I see people from across all nations, my heart is delighted because as I already told you, for 30 years I served in a church which ministered to Tamil people from Sri Lanka, India and Malaysia who had come to London. And Jonathan Eden, my English colleague, wonderful, wonderful man of God, he felt called to work among them. And then the Lord made our paths cross. Uh, at 82, I arrived with uh, Jonathan, uh, my son who introduced me as a two and a half month old baby. Uh, that was 1982, April 6th. He was born on the 18th of January that same year. And I'm so happy to be here in uh, his church, and to be speaking to you, dear people. And again, my heart is delighted that there are people from many nations, unlike my church that I pastored for 30 years, where the people all spoke only Tamil language. Redeemed to worship him, redeemed to praise his name, out of every tribe and nation redeemed to worship him redeemed to praise his name out of every kindred and tongue 
Amen. I was going to tell the story of uh, my origin, and I didn't know that uh, Jonathan would go and spoil it all for me, <laughs> which he did. If I had known what his introduction was going to be, I would have shut his mouth and asked him to stay at home. <laughs> well, the story is, my mother was a Hindu, my father was a nominal Christian. They met and married in 1928, uh, how many years ago? 94 years ago. They were a very happy couple. My father was an entrepreneur, enterprising man. He was a successful businessman. He had about five shops. My mother was a, a very good housewife, love marriage in the 1920s. Life was good. The first year was wonderful, second year was uh, pretty good, the third year was not bad, but the fourth year became rather, what would you say, rather difficult for my mother because my father expected children to inherit his property and my mother couldn't produce any. And by the fifth year, my father had started threatening her. She, he loved her very much, but he said, well, if you can't give me children, I think I might have to divorce you and get married to somebody else. My mother, who was a Hindu, not a practicing Hindu, but a so-so Hindu, her heart was broken. She had the name of a Hindu goddess. I don't think anybody here would have that much of a Hindu background. Her name was Devane. And so she was very tearful and wondering what life held for her. And then one day, as Jonathan said, Somebody knocked on the door, he, she opens the door, there are two men standing and uh, she wants to know what they're there for. This is in Colombo, erstwhile Ceylon, famous for its teas, now known as Sri Lanka. It was under the British. My wife, uh, my father and mother had gone to the best of doctors. They had enough money to do that. And by the way, day before yesterday, uh, my son Jonathan showed a photograph of my father in his driving license. My father owned a car in 1940. He held a license in 1940. So they, they, they were pretty well off, especially according to salon standards. So somebody knocks on the door. My mother opens the door. She sees two men and she wants to know what they are there for. And they say, we are here to tell you about Jesus. She wasn't very pleased. So she wanted to dismiss them, but she was desperate. And she said, can you, Jesus, give me children? And they blurted out a very bold reply. Oh, oh yes, of course, Jesus can. As though he was uh, in the business of just giving children, babies to barren women. Well, I was so happy that those men hadn't gone to any elite Bible colleges or some grand theological college where they would have taught them to give fairly satisfactory, evasive answer. Neither here nor there kind of answers. If my mother had asked one of them, they would have said something like, well, who knows the grand purpose and plan of God? He might give you children. Or on the other hand, he might not. Um, we will, of course, pray for you. But these two men were ordinary men from an ordinary church. And they said, of course, Jesus can give you children. And they prayed for her. January 1934, on the 23rd of, January, 23rd of December, my eldest brother 
was born, she became a Christian and named my brother Samuel. She had waited for six years, so God gave her Samuel and another son, and another son, and another son, and another son, not four, as Jonathan said, and another son. And this son is this son. God gave her six sons for the six years she had waited. Two of them died when they were very young, and I was the weakest of the whole bunch. And she used to think that I was deaf and dumb because until uh, I was three and a half, I couldn't say mum and dad. They thought I was deaf and I was dumb. Dumb in both respects, like dumb in hearing, dumb in uh, mental capacity. And the Lord chose the dumbest of them to declare the good news about Jesus. I was the dumbest. Uh, all my brothers were better qualified than I. I have the least qualification in my family. And I fell in love with a young woman and wanted to marry her. She said, no, 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 not so fast. God has called me to full-time ministry at the age of 15. That's my wife seated there. And she was from a family of six too. Absolute coincidence. And she was the weakest among them. And they thought she wouldn't amount to much because she could hardly do anything, just like I could hardly do anything. Friends, I want to tell you, if you think you are a reject, you are a weak person, and uh, there is not much good in you, hallelujah! Because then God can do something. And the glory will all go to his name. If I'm standing here, it is the pure, absolute grace of God. So my and I, my wife, have been married for 51 years and a bit. We have four wonderful sons, uh, Jonathan being our third. And my sermon will start, I think, with something about Jonathan. So my and I thought, my wife and I thought, we were going to have glorious, wonderful girls. I was from a family of boys, and she likes girls too. So our first was going to be Hepzibah. That turned out to be Christian, and he's 48 years of age. The second one was going to be Beulah. That turned out to be Judah. He's 44 years of age, married with two children. The third one we were absolutely certain was going to be Joanna, of course. And those were the days when you couldn't uh, tell the sex of the baby before they were born. So we expected Joanna to arrive. And then I admit my wife in the hospital and uh, early morning I go eagerly to see whether it is Joanna who has arrived. Poor thing, she was so apologetic. As though she could have changed the sex of the baby. She said, I'm sorry, baby. It's not Joanna. It's Jonathan. <laughs> uh, I, I had to put a brave face. Uh, there was no heart in it. I just said, praise the Lord for Jonathan. There was no praising the Lord in my heart at all. And I didn't know what Jonathan meant. I had been a pastor at that time for 1982, two, for 10 years. Didn't know the meaning of Jonathan. Went home, looked up the Bible dictionary. Jonathan meant God 
gave. Hallelujah. Not Joanna? I would have to wait for Joanna for many years. And I was here when Jonathan's Joanna was dedicated about 10 years ago. Hallelujah. So Jonathan was not uh, the expected Joanna. But uh, we put a brave face and we thanked the Lord in a lukewarm fashion, half-heartedly. And within 24 hours, he was dying. There was a knock on my door at about 3 a.m. We were staying just next to the hospital where he was born. And the doctor who helped deliver him was a Christian man who knew me personally. So he comes and knocks on the door at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I open the door. I see a doctor. You see a doctor at 3 a.m. in the morning? What do you think? Some good news? Uh, I was in deep shock. He saw the shock in, on my face. And I asked, doctor, what have you come to tell me? He put his arms around me and said, no, 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 nothing, nothing uh, bad. Uh, then why did you come at this time? Well, he said lamely, any time is a good time to praise the Lord. 3 a.m. in the morning? I sat. I knew that he had something foreboding to tell me. And then he said something that I'll not easily forget. He said, your son is dying. Not yet 24 hours, my son. He said, your son is dying. He needs blood transfusion. And we were not able to find his blood group. Can you come immediately? Well, my limbs froze and I couldn't move. It took time for me to get up and walk with him just next door to the hospital. As I went there, I saw a scene that I can't easily forget. There were so many tubes running from his body. I think there were four tubes, one clearing his stomach. Uh, he was ingesting his vomit, uh, one, through his, uh, one through his hand giving him saline. And because I had got so delayed, they did find something fairly close to it, and they had started giving him medication. So he was in that state in an incubator. My wife and I held hands and committed his soul to the Lord, thinking he was not going to last even a few hours. The Lord taught me a lesson. When people used to lose their babies immediately after birth, or if they had a miscarriage, and if they grieved, I used to be able to understand. I used to say, why are they grieving? They hardly had time to bond and get to know the child. So why should they grieve? And here was our son, less than 24 hours old. And I felt such sadness and grief. And the Lord seemed to remind me that God gave his only begotten son for us. How much must he have grieved? And one verse has come with such force over the last few months that I sometimes almost bore my congregation repeating it. It's a very well-known verse. Almost everybody here would know the word, uh, verse, except that I tell it slightly differently. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I say the same verse now, slightly differently. I say it this way. For God so loved the world. His love must have been so immense that he was willing to give his son for a miserable wretch like me. None of you would know how miserable, what a miserable wretch I am. I know it. The Lord knows it. And the only other person who knows it, of course, my children know some aspects of it, of my wretchedness. But other than God, the one who knows it is my beloved wife, who has put up with me for 52 years. For God so loved the world, the extent of his love was enough to give his only begotten son, with whom he had been from eternity. And what was it that caused Jesus such anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane? Such anguish. Remove this cup from me, Lord, uh, Father, if it is possible. Remove this cup. No, it can't be removed. The cup was for God to turn his face away from his son because of me. His son who had been with him from eternity, whom he loved with such love that human language cannot describe. He was going to turn his face away because of me. If there is something painful to perform, I would rather do it than allow my sons to do it. It might have been a little easier for God the Father to go to the cross than for him to allow Jesus to go to the cross. That was what would cause him greater pain and that was going to be the ultimate sacrifice that he was going to be willing to pay for riches like you. I don't know about your wretchedness. I know about my wretchedness. So that I might be spared God so loved the world. I asked our church members this question. There was just a small crowd, about 20 people. You know, time is a very, uh, a very relative thing. Uh, when I used to go to see my wife before we were married, her father was a very strict disciplinarian. My uh, visit would have a maximum time of uh, 3.30 to 8.30 every Saturday. 3.30 in the afternoon, 8.30 uh, uh, in the evening. And if I passed the 8.30 limit, he would come where we were seated and clear his throat. <clears throat> and he would ask me in his Indian accent, when is your last bus 
meaning it was time for me to go. Time is a relative thing. My three and a half, three thirty to eight thirty would have just gone like that. Now, if my wife and I, after fifty-two years of marriage, have to spend three and a half, five and a half, five hours together, but it seems like months gone. <laughs> no, not really, not really. Time is a very relative thing. When you enjoy the company of somebody, it seems to go like this. And when I wait for my wife or my children at the airport, five minutes seems like ages. The flight is going to arrive, and it is going to be in five minutes. The number of times you look at the watch, oh, five minutes seems to stretch forever. And I ask the question. I mean, it's not a very logical, well-worded question. What was the longest? Who would have enjoyed the longest? Uh, or who would have suffered the longest misery? And when? There was this boy who had been an autistic child, and doctors said this is in London. He would never be better. Of course, the parents prayed for him night and day, and now he is a highly accomplished young man working for J.P. Morgan. Bankers, he stood up and said, "The longest misery for anybody is that Jesus on the cross, when his father turned his face away. That was the cup he wanted removed because father turns his face away. This has never happened from eternity. And when was it going to end? You don't know the length of time. I don't know the length of time. It couldn't have been more than." Three hours, definitely not, because Jesus spoke seven words, and these were the fourth words that he spoke: "Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani." My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The forsakenness of God, forsakenness of God, experienced by Jesus for you and for me. Long story short. Jonathan was there, and this dreadful anxiety in my wife's heart and mind. Are we going to lose this child? And I thought, I can't cope. I had two older sons, Christian, at that time aged seven and a half, Judah aged three and a half. Judah, who is now forty-four. So I was at home. This was the third day. And I was telling in my heart, my two children were playing, Christian and Judah, seven and a half, three and a half. I am telling the Lord, I can't take it any longer, Lord. I am now going to have a breakdown. I had to cook. I had to wash all the clothes by hand for the two children. I had to dry them. I had to fold them. I had to run the house. And during that period. I was working in a Christian organization called, as Jonathan said, FEBA, Far East Broadcasting Associates. I should have got lots of my friends visiting me and supporting me in prayer. None appeared for those two days when I needed them most. You see, God was trying to teach me a lesson. If you feel sometimes that you are going through absolute agony and nobody seems to care, what、well, the Lord wants to 
kind of impress upon you is that he cares and that he is sufficient. So here I am, just with my two children, and I'm saying, I can't take it any longer. I'm going to have a breakdown now. And as I was saying that, almost an audible voice, something that I could hear, saying, listen to your son. Listen to your son. Chris, Christian was playing. Judah was playing with some bricks. And he meant Judah. Judah was singing, three and a half year old singing. And God made me listen. He was making up the words as he went along, making up, so, uh, making up the tune as he went along. I never heard him sing that before. I never heard him sing since then. He's now 44 years of age. Of course, he's a very talented musician. He has composed some beautiful songs. Judah Ebenezer, you would find on YouTube. What was he singing? What did God want me to listen to? I'm too weak to listen to anything. But God said, listen. The words of God. What was Judah singing? In his own words, I can't remember the exact words. He was singing something to the effect with, those, with his own tune. And the king was angry with them. They wouldn't worship the image. The king said, I'll have you punished. They said, we don't care. Making up the melody as he went along. And the king was angry and got them bound. The king made the fire hotter and hotter. I'm listening. And had them thrown into the fire. I'm listening. And then he sang. But Jesus was with them in the fire. He was singing the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that my wife had told him two days before she went into hospital to give birth to Jonathan. Jesus was with them in the fire, and I said, Lord, you're with me in this fire. I'm not going to have a breakdown. And I went to the hospital. I think most of this story Jonathan doesn't know. He's hearing it for the first time. I went to the hospital, resigned to see Jonathan there, resigned to lose him if need be. But praise be to God, he was out of the incubator and my wife was feeding him. He never looked back after that. And uh, the gratitude that he has for me is he grows taller than me and looks down on me. <laughs> Such is life. God is good all the time. My wife and I have experience. But don't think that it is, a, what would you say, a wonderful story, uh, happily ever after, after Jonathan was born. I had two breakdowns, one in 2007. One, when I stepped down from leadership in 2012, I made some decisions that I regretted so much. Some mistakes that I had made. I went into a depression for four years. 2012, I came here. Latter part of 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16. More than four years. 
I didn't want to take the Bible. I didn't want to see anybody, not even my children, nor my grandchildren. The only person that I didn't mind, I didn't mind, was my wife. And that was it. I couldn't pray. And I thought at uh, uh, 2016 would have been my uh, 60th birthday. Am I right? 70th birthday. 70th birthday. 17th birthday. I thought, finished. Everything is gone. My ministry is gone. I didn't want to touch the word of God. I didn't want to pray. Others were praying for me. And gloriously, the Lord brought me out of my bondage in 2017. This pastor who had come and seen me when I was really low, when I didn't want to see him, pastor of another Tamil church from a place called Southampton, 2017, January 4th or 3rd, their 10th anniversary, he has seen me at my lowest ebb. He rings me and says, Pastor Ebenezer, I would like you to preach at our 10th anniversary. You can't be serious. I'm not trying to be like John McEnroe. He would add the word man, isn't it? You can't be serious, man. But he said, Pastor, I want you. So I go to the church, 10th anniversary, and before I open my Bible, I say, Lord, please give me grace at least to speak for 10 minutes, 10th anniversary, 10 minutes. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and loosened all that was tightly holding me. And I spoke for one and a half hours. And because this gentleman here said he was going to bring his lunch, I'm going to honor his faith by preaching for one and a half hours. And those of you who have not brought your lunch, well, sorry. God is good all the time and we have experienced it. 1978, what am I going to speak on? The last song was a wonderful song. Is it possible to have the words in front of me, the last song, uh, in a little while. No, that was not the last song. About the word. Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. And the next verse. Words of life, words of hope. Give us strength. Help us cope in this world wherever we roam. Ancient words will guide us home. Some of you might have heard this song. I don't need it any longer. I'll ask you every now and then. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty sing. Wonderful words of life. I'm going to speak about the word of God. 1978, Jonathan was... Uh, not even on the horizon, four years he was born. Our life was very hard. God has called us into full-time ministry, and I joined FEBA, and uh, my, my, my salary was so small, I couldn't even afford to pay the rent of a house for us to live in. And then suddenly one day, one lady who lives very close to our office sends word for me and says, uh, I want to give a room uh, in my house 
for a couple or maybe a couple with a child or two. So I go to see that place and I think it's the absolutely ideal place for us, Soma and me, and we had one son at that time, walking distance to work, which means uh, I would save the bus fare. And I said, yes, we like this place. But she said, she was a stern old lady. She said, but there is one condition. And my heart sank. I thought she was going to ask for a fairly big rent that we wouldn't be able to afford. And she said one of the most strange things that I had ever heard. She said, I want to give this room to somebody, dependable, and my only condition is I will not take any rent. What a condition. He either increases your income or he decreases your outgoing. This is what my wife and I have been experiencing for the last 52 years of our married life. Over the last few years, I have, not that we can't afford, I have refused to buy any new clothes. I buy my clothes in the charity shops. I don't know whether you have charity shops in this country where you can buy clothes. I never buy a brand new shirt or trouser. I buy it from the charity shop. I, I help somebody, I'm sure, and it is a Sometimes, one twentieth the price. This is from Marks and Spencer. In fact, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of our Tamil ladies didn't know uh, uh, the word Marks and Spencer. She only knew that clothes there were expensive. So she used to say Marks expensive. <laughs> Marks. So this is from Marks expensive. Would have been about 30, 30 pounds, I think. I bought it for one pound fifty pence. Why should I pay twenty-eight fifty more? when it is a, almost the same product. My trouser is second hand, it's about two pounds, it would have cost about 25 pounds new. I'm helping somebody and I'm preserving our precious income. But what my wife will tell you is what I save on clothes, I spend on books. Well, you need to spend somewhere, isn't it? Again, let me tell you, Second-hand books, it's not new books. I have wonderful second-hand books. Now, let me come to the Word of God. Word of God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My wife had told the story to my son, and I don't know whether she would have had any notion how much Judah took it in at the age of three and a half. At the age of three and a half, I couldn't speak. I thought I couldn't, uh, they thought I couldn't hear too. But my son had that song in his heart to sing at the time when I thought I was going to have a breakdown. The word of God. Sing them over to me. Wonderful words of life. The words of God. 1978, our income is very, very poor. We are just about able to, just about able to make ends meet. And one morning, both of us get up extremely discouraged. An unusual occurrence because uh, people call me, uh, sometimes including my wife, that I'm annoyingly cheerful. I don't know how that can be. I'm cheerful. If it annoys you, it is your business, isn't it? Anyway, even this annoyingly cheerful person, that morning I felt very, very low. Soma felt, my wife felt low, uh, which was not much of a surprise uh, after having married me. Uh, but. Uh, uh, I went to work, uh, meaning my uh, ministry. And during lunchtime, one hour, allotted to us, I would 
finish my lunch fast and uh, spend 50 minutes reading the Bible. I was reading various portions of the Bible and I needed a real, what to do say, word of encouragement to cheer me up. And then I came upon one verse that really dispelled my darkness. I was turned my morning into dancing for me almost. And I said, well, I'm going to go and tell Soma, my wife, about this verse, and we are not going to be feeling blue anymore. So I go home with a spring in my step, not with slouching shoulders as I did in the morning, and I'm going to cheer my wife up who was so, so dispirited in the morning. I was in for a disappointment. She seemed more cheered up than I when I went home. That was a bit of a disappointment. I said, I thought you were feeling rather low in the morning. She said, I thought you were feeling rather low in the morning. I said, well, I have read the word of God and he has, uh, uh, he has encouraged me. She said, well, I have read the word of God and he has encouraged me. So I asked her, which part of the Bible? She asked me which part of the Bible. With women, you might as well just give up, isn't it? I told her, one of the books of the Bible, Psalms. Then I asked her, which book of the Bible did you find encouragement from? She said, Psalms. Then I asked, which chapter? She asked, which chapter? Second time I give in. Chapter 32. Her eyes are becoming wider. She said, 32? Same chapter. Now, this was not going to be a joke anymore. Which verse? Which verse? I said, seven, meekly. She said, same, seven. And then she said, God has given me a melody for that. Anybody have a guess how many thousand verses are there in the Bible? Approximately? Hands up. 31,100 odd words. 31,100 words. And the day I needed it and my wife needed it, she directs us to the exact verse that would cheer us up. Psalm 32, verse 7. And she shyly said, God has given me a melody. 1978. That was how many years ago? 44 years ago. And we still sing it at home. Thou art my hiding place, exactly as it is in the King James Version. Thou art my hiding place, thou wilt preserve me from trouble. Thou art my hiding place, and thou wilt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Thou art my hiding place Thou art my hiding place I'll sing it once more. Try if you can sing it the third time with me. If you feel low, if uh, nothing cheers you up, who can share my heart? Like Jesus. Who can share my heart, your heart, like his word? Thou art my hiding place. Thou art my hiding place. Thou wilt preserve me from trouble. Thou art 
hiding place And thou wilt compass me About with songs of deliverance Thou art my hiding place 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 Thou wilt preserve me from trouble Thou art my hiding place And thou wilt compass me About with songs of deliverance Thou art my hiding place Thou art my hiding place I'm going to speak about the Word of God And uh, I might sing again uh, I just leave it on the floor. Thank you. Blessed is the man that walks not to the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law that he, in his law that he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither. And whatsoever he doeth or does shall prosper. I'm not going to speak about prosperity theology. I'm totally against it. Is there a poverty theology? I might perhaps espouse that cause. Anyway. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Walk, stand, sit, he doesn't do. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate. Law meaning the word of God as we sang a little while ago. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And it shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. And his leaf also shall not wither. Roots have gone deep down into the word of God. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. Do we want to prosper spiritually? Right. Two disciplines. This is a very simple sermon. It's about the word of God. It's not a very difficult uh, a theological sermon. It's a simple sermon. Two disciplines that we need. Any Christian needs in his life, in his or her life, uh, to grow and they walk with the Lord. Just two disciplines. What are they? Anybody wants to, uh, any brave soul wants to venture a guess? Two things that we need in our lives to do, to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church. Yes, sir? He got it in the right order. Usually, I ask the same question, and the answer is prayer and the Word of God. In prayer, we are talking to God. Absolutely needful. A man of God from this country called Oswald G. Smith. Anybody has heard Oswald G. Smith? Famous man of God. Right? You heard. One young man wrote to him and said, Sir, there are times when I don't have enough time to read the Word of God and to pray. 
do you have an answer? Oswald J. Smith is supposed to have said, both are needed, but if you can do only one thing properly, read the word of God. When we pray, which is absolutely important, you and I are speaking to God. When we read the word of God, he speaks to us, which is more important. Your child talking to you is more important, or your child listening to you and giving him some instructions, uh, uh, Elizabeth, which is more important, darling? You talking to daddy and mommy, or mommy and daddy talking to you? Ha! You will never forget this lesson, and you'll tell your children who will tell your grandchildren. Prayer is important. There is no gainsaying it, no denying it. But reading the word of God is very, very important. Because it is through the word of God that he speaks to us, shows us his mind. And uh, I think you can get uh, this kind of a list from any uh, Google search. I'm just going to say a few things that the word of God is likened to. The word of God is like uh, fire in Jeremiah. Like a hammer, the same verse, which describes it as fire, the word of God, burning out all the impurities, is also a hammer, which can break the hardest heart. A mirror in James, we come and look at it, and we can see what is wrong with this. But you know what most of us have? We do have mirrors. We have rare view mirrors. You know what rare view mirrors are? Mirrors that show us what other people are doing, people behind us are doing. Here is a plain mirror that shows you what you are, but we would rather look at the rear view mirror and say what is wrong with other people's lives. Seed in Peter, word of God is like seed, like bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Bread. A lamp. For thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Rain and snow, Isaiah. Sword of the Spirit. You know the whole armor of God? All the description of the whole armor of God is about things that protect us. Helmet of salvation. Breastplate of faith. Etc. Etc. But the word of God the sword of the spirit is the only offensive weapon that you and I have in our possession. So much so, when Satan came to tempt Jesus, he didn't resort to his own wisdom and all that he knew of philosophy. He just said, it is written. Just Three words. It is written. And that was enough for him to overcome Satan. If that was enough to over, for, for Jesus to overcome Satan, how much more us? It's absolutely sufficient. Sword and what else? Gold, milk, etc. So I'm going to, if I might, embarrass you a little bit because I learned many things by people embarrassing me. About 40 Sorry, it can't be 40, because Jonathan is 40. About 25 years ago, one day on the 31st of December, before our watch night service, I was seated like this, 
doing something like that. And Jonathan came and said, Dad, why do you seem worried and upset? Then I said, no, I made a mistake. Normally, for the 31st, I would buy this, uh, what would you call it, uh, Bible reading schedules to give out to people a psychological moment, isn't it? 31st of December, everybody comes absolutely determined to make some New Year uh, resolution that are usually not kept for more than a week or two, isn't it? And they, they say, we are going to read the Bible every day. It's a psychological moment, and I wanted to make use of that. And that particular year, I had forgotten that. So my son said, he was 15, and I was uh, 40 years, uh, 36 years older than that, 51. He said, Dad, just a simple method. Oh, I hadn't known. He said, Dad, you can tell your people this. And ever since then, I had been telling people that. Three chapters a day, five chapters on Sunday. And you can read the Bible in its entirety in 363 days, and God gives you two days holiday <laughs> from reading the Bible. I, 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 mean, I, I didn't believe in him. I'm mean, a 15-year-old lad trying to tell a 52-year-old pastor how to read the Bible. Then I calculated it and saw, absolutely right, three, day, three chapters a day and five chapters on Sunday. Start it today. This is not something profound. This is not something deep. This is not something uh, exclusive. This is something simple. I don't know how many of you have. My, one of my grandchildren read the Bible in something like, I think, entire Bible, something like seven or eight months. Uh, Am, am I right, John? So one or eight months? He's not sure. He's uh, one of his uh, uh, children. Hallelujah! There is one Tamil boy in Southampton, a pastor's son. He has read the Bible through. He is about 12, 13. He has read the Bible through 13 times, and he's on to the 14th time. No, no, that doesn't need to make you feel a failure. No. What is important is read the Bible, meditate upon it. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you delight in the law of God? He is speaking to you. Prayer, you are speaking to him. Reading the Bible, he is speaking to you. And Bible reading in English has become such an easy Almost pleasant thing to do because you have so many, we have so many translations. I'm sure in French you have too. Have you heard of the message by Eugene Peterson, isn't it? Excellent for your children to read and understand. Good News Bible in simple English. New International Version. ESV, which I prefer. It is somewhat like a King James Version. So many, so many different translations that make Bible reading an absolute pleasure. If you're neglecting that, there's going to be difficulty in your walk with the Lord. He wants to speak to you. I come to the garden alone, where the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own, all that he does through his word. 
the extent of his love. For God so loved the world. You and I don't want our children to suffer one little injury or one little inconvenience or one little discomfort. And God made him go through sheer, unimaginable agony. And what shows me this? The Word of God. Right? How many chapters in the Word of God? Three chapters a day, five chapters on Sunday, and you will finish it? Any guesses? We are the people of the book. We need to know. Did I know it? Not till Jonathan, when I was 52, told me. So don't feel a failure. I wasn't a great success myself. 1,189 chapters of the Bible. Do you know how long it will take, uh, take you to read the entire Bible if you did it in an unbroken fashion? Say you started today and counted the hours. You didn't get up for lunch or dinner or sleep or whatever. How many hours it would take? You know, Satan would want to come and discourage you saying, oh, it's a mammoth task. Don't even attempt it. Anybody wants to guess? Anybody who might know? Hallelujah. You're all like me when I was seven, uh, 52, after I had been a pastor for many years. Somebody said yesterday or day before in a prayer meeting, three months. Un unbroken. Satan would have you believe it is, it'll be about three months. Just pulpit Bible reading rate. It won't take you more than 72 to 74 hours. Three days. Genesis to Revelation chapters, last chapter. You would have finished. Satan wants to discourage us so that we don't even attempt to start. It is a mammoth task, isn't it? No, it is an easy task. Bite size, three chapters a day, five chapters on Sunday. Now, who should I ask? The gentleman who said he was going to bring me his lunch, and he told me I can go on as long as I like. No, no, I shouldn't ask him. Uh, I think this gentleman was the one uh, who, who told me that he was going to preach for three hours, but he seems, uh, are you going to start after I finish or something? Okay. <laughs> now, where are we? I don't, very conveniently, I don't take a watch when I go to preach. Yes, sir. Where are we now? Another, another three hours for me? Or another three minutes? Or another 30 minutes? No, I'm being serious. Uh, 10 minutes? 20 minutes? Sorry? Five to ten minutes, right. In which case, I'll just uh, continue this sermon next Sunday. I was going to give you some excellent, beautiful sermon next Sunday, but no, I shan't. I'll continue on the same vein, unless you allow me to preach for the next two and a half, three hours. Okay. 31,000 verses, 1,189 chapters of the Bible. Three chapters a day. If this is the only thing that you remember, and if the only thing that you remember, other than this, is just one word. For God so loved the world, that would be enough. <sighs> so many stories. My wife and I went for the service 51 years ago. Right, by the way, how many 
of you can remember sermon from about 20 years ago. Some of you who are under 20, you don't need to, like my granddaughter here. 20 years ago, you had a sermon or more, and I still remember. 30 years ago, and I still remember. 40 years ago, I remember a sermon preached in May 1962, when I was 16, I'm 76. After 70 years, I can remember what that man of God spoke from the book of Nehemiah. Not a very interesting book. What he said went straight to our heart. And then the next sermon, uh, next, many other things. 71, we go to hear one Brian Greenaway in Sri Lanka, a man from the United States with a wonderful personality and a very polished manner of speaking and an excellent Bible teacher, my wife and I went. Huge hall, about 600 people, and we were ready after the worship finished to hear Brian Greenaway. But one man came up and said, brothers and sisters, we are very, very sorry to tell you that Brian Greenaway is indisposed and he is not able to speak today. And instead of him, we have a brother from Fiji Islands who will speak instead. My wife and I were disappointed, me more than my wife. Because we looked at that man from Fiji Islands, he looked an absolute nobody. A small-made man with something like a skirt around him. I mean, you couldn't have been, you couldn't have had a greater contrast with uh, Brian Greenaway and this man. I looked at my wife and said, let's go home. She said, no, we're going to listen to what he says. <sighs> Resign myself to a dreadful, boring sermon from this man from Fiji Islands with his quaint accent. Well, he came, he opened the Bible, he read a portion from the scriptures. He read from Matthew chapter 8 about Jesus going into the land of Gergesenes and meeting there two men with evil spirits. He reads it all very calmly, and then he goes on like this. I'll turn to that portion. You don't need to turn. And he says, uh, chapter 8, Matthew's Gospel. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with the Son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. That man of God, from Fiji read all this very calmly. Do all of you have strong hearts? Because what I'm going to do next, what he did 51 years ago, might cause a jolt to your bodies. He read like this. So be prepared. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. 
The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he read. And Jesus said, go! This is what he said. And for the next 45 minutes, he used the word go. Jesus says, go to your discouragement. Jesus, Jesus says, go to your disappointments, your diseases. He went on and on and on. One word from the word of God. I felt energized. I felt liberated. I felt set free. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. One word was sufficient for us that day. After 51 years, my wife and I have not forgotten that sermon. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So Satan comes, tempts Jesus, and he gives a replies all from the word of God. Anybody here knows from which books Jesus answered? Somebody said, it might be the correct answer, sir, if you put your hand up and be brave. Yes? Hallelujah! Just one book. And some of us haven't even heard of the book Deuteronomy. It sounds like a macaroni or something, isn't it? <laughs> Deuteronomy is full of life! All three answers Jesus gave from the book of Deuteronomy. And then Satan says, this is not going to work with uh, this man. He's giving biblical answers, so let me use the Bible. So our Jehovah's Witnesses use the Bible. So our Seventh-day Adventists use the Bible. So the Moonies use the Bible. Latter-day Saints of God use the Bible. Satan used the Bible. Jump. Your word says, 91st Psalm, all of us know, he shall give his angels charge over thee, lest your feet should smite against the rock. Come on. Your word, jump. And Jesus said, it is written, with a slight difference, he added one word, and uh, I asked the same question at a home day before yesterday, and my son Jonathan gave the right answer. It is written, it is written, but this time when Satan quotes the word of God to him, Jesus also says, it is written, with the addition of just one word. And what is the word? It is also written. It is also written, Jesus said to Satan, meaning what you're saying is right, <laughs> but there's another side to the coin. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Jehovah's Witnesses will come to you, Seventh-day Adventists will come to you, Moonies will come to you, Latter-day Saints of God, uh, Latter-day Saints of Christ will come to you. They'll quote one part, one part, and if you don't know, it is also written, you are dead meat. It is also written. Read the word of God and learn it to the extent where if anyone comes and quotes something at you that doesn't seem quite right, you'll be able to say to them, but it is also written. Jesus said that. It is written, it is written, it is also written. I think uh, I have driven home the point fairly strongly. 
and I might if I have left any points because uh, uh, people are feeling hungry and uh, they were not uh, they were not thoughtful like this wonderful man who said you can preach for any number of uh, hours and I and I asked him this morning have you brought your lunch immediately he picked his bag up and said yeah I don't want to mention the name lest he be stoned to death <laughs> one little story with that I finish about the word of God this Hindu old lady was in hospital Tamil gloriously converted 85 and I went to see her she greeted me and said in Tamil I can't tell it in Tamil oh darling I'm so happy you have come I loved her too uh, I said, Amma, meaning mum, I, I, I used to call her mum, I'm so happy to see you. Uh, I'm happy that uh, God heard your prayer and brought me. And now, and then she said, oh, now I can close my eyes. I can die any moment now. Then I asked her, but mum, are you not afraid of death? She laughed. She laughed, a truly bold, brave laugh. She said, afraid of death. I'm waiting to go to Jesus and have a grand time with him, and now I can go. I have seen you. Within a few days, she was dead. And the funeral came. And they told me it was uh, on a Friday at 9 a.m. in the morning. The funeral was in London, and we, were, we are in a place called Basingstoke, Usual traveling time about uh, two hours. Nine, nine a.m. the funeral, and I look at the time. It's seven thirty. One and a half hours. You can't make it. And I don't know how funeral directors in this country are, but in London, England, they are very, very strict about the time. They'll be waiting for you, and exactly at the right time, they want to take the body into the into the church is it uh, so here I don't know so we get into the car and I have never used um, this uh, GPS what do you call it here you call it GPS for the first time I had no way I put the GPS on and I'm in fear and trembling but a very calm assuring woman's voice for a change because when my wife does the GPS from her own head, I dread it. Amy, I told you not to turn here. But this voice, ever so sweet. Uh, at the next roundabout, take the third turn. So, so sweet. So I was happy to turn the GPS on. And we were going. And we were going. I had been living in London for 38 years. And I knew London fairly well. Never had I gone through these uh, roads. And I was getting frightened. And I turned to my uh, beloved wife, uh, the other GPS. And I asked her, shall I follow this GPS or would you like to take over? <laughs> she said, follow that GPS. <laughs> so going through strange roads. And I was wondering where I would reach the place in time. I loved that mother so much. And I didn't want to be late. 
and all the path that I was going, road that I was going to unfamiliar. And then suddenly we saw Whitechapel and Myland and Stratford. Oh, we knew we were going to be home. But were we going to make it? We just reached 454 High Street North Manor Park, our church. Jonathan knows. He was dedicated there, I think. Looked at the watch, 8.59. What a sense of relief. Those men were waiting just for me to lead the procession into the church. I didn't know the way. The GPS led me. There is a greater GPS here. Through life's pathways, you don't know the roads that you should take, can take, must take, will take. This is a heavenly GPS. Because in Isaiah you read, just like the physical GPS that we have which prompts us, prompting, it says in Isaiah 30, I did write it down, Isaiah 30, 20, uh, 31, 20, 30, 20, I think, it says, you will hear a voice from behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it. Today, if you are puzzled, if you don't know where to turn, where to look, where to go, this is the divine GPS. Read it and find the direction for your life, for happiness, for purpose and eternity in this, because it's the voice of God speaking to you. Amen. Should I finish with prayer and benediction? Father, thank you for this wonderful group of people who love you, who love your word. Some of them, Lord, are people who have walked with you for many years faithfully. Some of them far better people than I. Some of them leading wonderfully useful lives for the Lord. But I thank you, Lord, that you brought me here not to speak about myself or my achievements, which are none, but to speak about your word because you speak to us through your word day in and day out, moment by moment, when, Lord, the pathway seems so confusing, when we don't know where to go, Lord, you speak to us through your word. You spoke to me when I thought I was going to have a breakdown through the words of my little son who sang the song about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You spoke to us, Lord, when both my wife and I thought we couldn't carry on any longer. And through one verse, you spoke to us, Thou art my hiding place. Thou wilt preserve me from trouble. Thou art my hiding place. And thou wilt compass me about with songs of deliverance. One verse was enough, Lord. And Lord, one word was enough. That day in 1971, 51 years ago when we went to hear Brian Greenaway and met this nameless pastor who spoke just one word. Go! And we went home, light-hearted, having been enlightened, encouraged by just one word. 
Lord, you can speak to us even today through your word and say, when we turn to the light, right or to the left, you can direct us like the earthly GPS and say, this is the way. Walk you in it. Help us today, Lord, to start reading your word with renewed encouragement, renewed expectation, renewed joy, renewed cheer, renewed ardor, renewed determination, Lord. Because when we read the word, we are hearing you speak. I remember the day, Lord, when I heard my friend saying that the first time that he heard, he, he, he read his fiancée writing to him and calling him darling, his heart was delighted. Lord, in your word, you're calling us your darling over and over again, from Genesis to Revelation. Lord, we are the apple of your eyes. You are our shepherd. You care for us. You died for us. You're coming back again for us. Help us, Lord, to realize that we are loved, loved utterly to the uttermost. Pray that you'll develop a desire to read your word, thus listening to your voice day by day. Help us, Lord, to do it diligently in a determined fashion, Lord, that our inner man might be strengthened by hearing your voice speak to us every day, that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord with each passing day. Thank you, Lord, for these dear people. Pray that you will continue to be with them this coming week, and if there are people, dear ones, who have not taken the reading of the scriptures